Welcome back to another episode of What They Aren't Telling You. I am Melissa Floyd, and if you guys don't follow me on social media or you got here to this podcast some other way, make sure to check out my accounts on Facebook, Melissa Floyd, and Instagram, Melissa Floyd for Truth. Wrapping up those final details on my website, that's also melissafortruth.com. You can see all of the archived posts and things like that coming up shortly, but you can subscribe to the email list now before that is unveiled. Um, so today I want to talk about cancel culture. So this is a little bit of a diversion from COVID or what's going on with vaccines or whatever, but cancel culture. Why is this topic up in uh, the news right now? Well, gosh, when is it not in the news? It's like, I swear, it's uh, every other day, it's some new person's canceled. Um, but uh, cancel culture is in the news right now because of Dave Chappelle. And he has a new comedy special called The Closer on Netflix. And uh, I actually watched it before I realized there was controversy. Like I just happened to see it, watched it. And the next morning I was seeing articles about, you know, people asking for him to be canceled as a result of his controversial material or what they considered anti-trans language uh, for the LGBTQ um, community. And, uh, you know, it's interesting because Dave Chappelle has some very hardcore fans, not unlike you guys, <laughs> like loyal people who are supporting a particular person because they appreciate their ideas and they are not these like fair weather followers that kind of come and go and are trendy. These are people who have known that person for a while. In the case of Dave Chappelle, he's got, you know, a ton of people that have been following him for years and um, and they appreciate the fact that he sort of talks out and speaks out against the norm or in some cases the establishment, sometimes even like the narrative. Um, and he's he's always kind of pushed back against that. He definitely was never like a traditional sellout in the way that you'd see people do. And uh, he was always very honest and uh, thought-provoking at the same time he would push the boundaries, um, oftentimes saying things I think many people were thinking uh, in different ways. But And I don't agree with every single thing that he says, but I, I have a lot of respect for him as an artist uh, because of the, the reasons that I mentioned. And um, I think he's an intelligent man, and uh, he approaches his comedy and humor in an intelligent way, which, as you all know, like most comedians or many comedians don't. And, um, and so I appreciate that about him. But so, you know, everybody's asking for him to be canceled. Today, there was, you know, the official Netflix uh, walkout of some of the employees asking for it to be taken down. You know, it's just ironic, because it's been out already, what, like, oh, two weeks, maybe. And uh, it's like, everybody's seen it at this point. And you know, you have to wonder, is this all some like elaborate PR stunt to get more people to watch it? Because come on, what's going to happen? Like, oh, this is so controversial. Like, why you got to listen to it and check it out? Okay, I'll watch it. You know, it's like, before you know it, every everybody's seen it. And uh, so what happens if you take it out? At this point, it's it's already been viewed by majority of the mainstream public. But this little teeny, teeny Netflix walkout made humongous news. And this is what's funny about the media and who it's controlled by. This is like I saw the aerial footage. There are maybe, maybe 70 people 
Maybe. That's like pushing it. And Netflix is a huge company. So to have 70 people outside or 50 people, I don't, I don't, I mean, really, it was a pretty small group who were up in arms about uh, the fact that this comedy special is on there and they're, you know, this is their, their big walkout, their big statement. Let me just tell you that 50 people anywhere else, 70 people anywhere else wouldn't get the time of day. And it was on all of the news channels, all of the major mainstream, uh, you know, liberal um, publications that are online. And they made the big deal out of it. Because if you would have seen it, you wouldn't have thought it was an actual big deal. And it's funny because obviously we've seen tons of, you know, pro-freedom rallies and uh, pro-medical freedom rallies that have hundreds and thousands of people. And when if it gets any little bit of news coverage, it's like dozens showed up to, you know, and, and they minimize it. They make sure they don't cover it. They make sure it's barely there and it's in some local podunk TV station. So it's kind of funny because this got tons of news. In fact, I know because I was getting my nails done because I don't ever watch the news. And it came on twice in the like 40 minutes I was there. So they were really, really pushing this to make this look like some big deal. And uh, what's funny is they couldn't even get a good camera angle that made it look bigger than it was like they usually would do. Uh, it still looked very small. And um, I can imagine that most people watching it were like, it doesn't seem like that big of a deal. For a company like that, I mean, this is this is very small. But I went on Twitter to look at a couple of the uh, discussions about Dave Chappelle being canceled. And there were a couple of good things that I thought were were mentioned. Uh, there was somebody that said, so when someone like Chappelle gets canceled because people are offended by his humor, what happens to those who aren't offended? Do those folks not have rights to consume his entertainment? Why do the opinions and rights of LGTBQ community matter more than literally anyone else? I love this comment because exactly what she's saying. So you've got a handful of people offended by it and you've got a huge group of people not offended by it. So now you're going to eliminate the right for those people to be able to access what he offers in his content. And why does one get to have precedence over the other and one has value or weight and the other doesn't. Um, that doesn't really seem to be how inclusivity or equality actually works. Um, there were a couple people on here like, I'm so mad. I'm angry at Dave Chappelle and Netflix. Um, I'm going to cancel my subscription. And um, and this this particular guy says, I'm a member of the LGBTQ community tired of people being cruel to trans folk. They're the best people I've ever known. Hashtag cancel Netflix. Well, obviously, Netflix ain't going anywhere. And either is Dave Chappelle. Uh, but I saw, I saw another guy say, I'm canceling it for a month. And it's like, what do you really think that that's going to do? One month of your $9.99 or $10 subscription? Uh, we're talking about a billion dollar industry, I imagine, for them. What's that little bit going to do? And, and truthfully, how many people are going to do that? Uh, probably not many, but uh, it's just so funny that people are quick to jump into let's cancel. And then there was another person on here who I don't know who this person is, but they are wearing a mask in their profile picture with a rainbow flag in the background. So, I mean, basically every possible liberal 
minority group you could imagine, I guess, except it's a white person, which, let's be honest, a lot of times they really are. They're like these white people that are speaking for people of color. They're white people speaking for everybody else, um, which in itself is a little patronizing. But uh, in fact, this person's like, as an ally of the LGBTQ community, uh, I just canceled my Netflix membership in solidarity for a month. Do better Netflix as an ally. I mean, these words, this terminology, like this is just like the black square. I'm sorry. I know some people don't agree with this, but this is this is another form of virtue signaling. Look at me. I'm cool with the uh, LGD. Oh, my God, I can't get this right. And And somebody else wrote it the wrong way. So if you're like, hey, you got it wrong before I was reading directly her tweet. So um if, you know, people are thinking that, you know, this is going to somehow support that community and, and show everybody that you're with them because you're canceling your net. I mean, listen, why don't you cancel your Netflix subscription and don't tell anybody about it? Why don't you if you're so concerned with supporting these rights, why don't you go ahead and just cancel it? But don't post it on social media for what I call those ass pats. Don't 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 put it on blast so that everybody has to know about this good thing you just did. Because then it makes you wonder, are you doing the good thing so that people know you did a good thing and therefore think you are good? Or are you doing a good thing because inherently you think this is a principled thing to do? If it's a principled thing to do, and this is based on your character, you wouldn't have to tell anybody about it because you'd be doing it for the reason that's based on that principle. Uh, and so what we've seen, especially in the last two years, is just, my goodness, virtue signaling left, right, center, just everywhere you look, it is. Um, it started with uh, the mask hanging from the review mirror. It started with I, I'm staying home. That this is how, staying home, save life, you know, saving lives, or however that used to go. Uh, and then it then it went to the vaccine proof of your vaccine card and that kind of nonsense. It's like in COVID, we've seen a ton of people virtue signaling, and it's all about look at this good thing I'm doing. I got two doses now. I'm getting my booster. Look, I'm a good member of society. It's like if you had nowhere to post it. Like, would people still be taking these action steps? I mean, honestly, I don't know. And is it possible they're taking these action steps literally just for the, the social response that they are getting? Let's just say if you have a picture of yourself on social media and your profile picture has a mask, you are trying to tell people who you are. Because I highly doubt you are taking that picture in close quarters with other people. And so you just wanted to be safe and responsible. My guess is you're probably in your own room or, you know, unique, separate space taking, you know, profile pictures like everybody does. And uh, you didn't really need that mask on then. So why would you have it? You have it as a symbol. So right off the bat, if you've got a profile picture with a mask on it, you're literally trying to tell people what political side of the aisle that you're on. Just like plain and simple, there's really no way you can argue anything other than that because there's no medical or scientific need to have a mask on when you're taking a picture of yourself by yourself. Uh, and some would argue there might not be a scientific need for masks anytime because they don't necessarily do the thing that everybody thinks that they do. But that's another conversation, of course. Um, you know, an interesting thing, a, a tweet Somebody said, this guy Thomas said, you know, if Netflix sets the example of refusing to cave, that could potentially have significant ramifications showing other companies that it really is possible to weather censorous backlash. 
Okay, so let's think about that. As soon as cancel culture came on the scene, and granted, it's been there in one way or another, you know, obviously, for a long time, but, um, but especially the last, I'd say five years. So when cancel culture came out, um, it is really dependent on people falling for it. I mean, it, it, they rely on people feeling intimidated enough to comply and, and, and fall in line. If people actually sit up and were like, uh, no, then there would be no power to cancel culture. It would be laughable. It'd kind of be a joke at this point. But what's happened, all these big corporations and brands, remember when the, when the Black Square thing happened? All the different corporations started, um, you know, talking about how they care about black people all of a sudden. And it's just, it's just, uh, I mean, it's what they call pandering in politics, right? Because you're really just trying to be, hey, look, I'm cool too. I care about black people. It's like, I mean, that's just insulting. And uh, the same would be true for the LGBTQ community now it is all of a sudden people being like, oh, look, I'm cool. I'm protesting Netflix because I want to show support. It's like it's kind of it's meaningless. But because of all these corporations that that are, are fearful of the small but what I call vociferous or loud uh, minority, you've got this very small group of people that are just very loud about it, that are threatening and, and essentially intimidating people into response. And these big corporations are so afraid of the potential backlash, potential of somebody, quote, canceling them, that they um, go along with it. And even if they don't agree. And so what this guy's saying, you know, if Netflix decides like, hey, we're not pulling anything, uh, we're keeping this on here because we support this right to, you know, freedom of speech. If they keep that there, then it's letting other companies know you can actually survive not giving in. And I know I, I think I talked about this once before in the baby wearing community, the same thing happened. And it's like these weavers were kind of bullied and intimidated into going along with stuff they didn't agree with. And they thought if they didn't, they'd be canceled. And, uh, and I mean, it just caused so much division and destruction within the community, which I think is what's happening now. But anyway, cancel culture, it's, it's an interesting thing right now. And um, somebody, somebody on one of their tweets shared something that I thought was interesting, and I saved it. Um, basically, there's an article that was written back in 2016, just like I said. This is kind of the last five years. It says, uh, the most intolerant wins, the dictatorship of the small minority. And there's just one little section I want to read from this. Um, the author is Nassim Taleb, T-A-L-E-B. And he says something, he says, the best example I know that gives insights into the functioning of a complex system is with the following situation. It suffices for intransigent minority, a certain type of intransigent minorities to reach a minutely small level, say three or 4% of the total population for the entire population to have to submit to their preferences. Further, an optical illusion comes with the dominance of the minority. A naive observer would be under the impression that the choices and preferences are those of the majority. And it says, if it seems absurd, it's because our scientific intuitions aren't calibrated for that. They don't work in this kind of situation because this is a complex system and it's about human behavior. And it's interesting. It's you, you make it seem like everybody believes this way and you have a small but very loud minority that becomes dominant and tries to take over and they can only do so 
by basically coercing, intimidating, pushing people into accepting their preferences, even if the majority doesn't have those preferences, which is just so odd. Because when you think about some of these groups that want to cancel things, when you think about the number of people in these groups, it is so small. And yet, there is this this need to force everybody else into certain language, like this whole, you know, pronouns thing. Um, it's forcing every it's forcing the 99.9%, I'd say 99.5, 99% into a situation where they all have to change their language every day for the small percentage who doesn't feel comfortable receiving language the way that it's always been done. And granted, the language that they're offended by is not something hateful. It's a pronoun for gender as has always been set up. So to think that you can actually get 99% of people to feel like they are obligated to speak a certain way for such a small percentage of people, I mean, it's pretty amazing that we've seen these kinds of things happen, especially over the last couple of years. So there was an interesting article in Vogue, in British Vogue, leave it to the British to be uh, a little more cheeky and, um, and address this, but... There was this article and it's called All the Reasons Why Cancel Culture is So Toxic for Our Mental Health. Again, this is in British Vogue and I don't have the date on this um, because I cut off the first page when I was printing. But if you search that title, you'll be able to find it. But um, it's by Jack Davison. So what Jack is doing is actually talking about a book. This is a book by uh, Kimberly Wilson. Um, It's called How to Build a Healthy Brain. And so she talks about cancel culture in there. And they describe, of course, cancel culture in a situation where if you you speak, tweet, or even act in any kind of unfavorable way, uh, you were swiftly shunned in 2020 especially because of cancel culture. And they said, cancel culture, which sees individuals and brands spurned uh, or scorned, I guess you could say, due to comments, actions, or stances that some perceive to be wrong. That's the key there. We're not talking about people that do these blatantly awful things and hurt people and whatever, and then just be like, well, it's their right. You know, we're talking about beliefs, uh, freedoms, things that somebody else believes or perceives them to be wrong. And so they decide it needs to be eliminated. Perceiving something to be wrong just because it's different or because it's not your point of view should never be an excuse or a validation for being able to eliminate somebody else's right to have a differing point of view. So they say, you know, cancel culture is nothing new. They said, fundamentally, cancel culture is about shame Shame emerges in responses to the feeling that we have transgressed against some agreed social rule and we have lost status within the group. Using shame to create a feeling where people have gone against the agreed social rule and somehow now have lost their status within the group. You can totally look back to COVID and say, you know, people that weren't wearing a mask or people that were not staying home were considered selfish and irresponsible and were totally um, chastised uh, over and over again as just bad humans, bad members of society, um, made to feel shameful exactly like this and made to feel like they were no longer part of the group and they shouldn't have access the same way they said 
People that don't stay home, people that don't wear a mask, people that don't get the vaccine should not be able to be a part of society. That is the conversation we had over the last year. They should not be able to participate in social activities. Uh, and And that's the punishment for them not going along with it. So what what people wanted was compliance. They didn't want immunity. They wanted compliance. And uh, because the discussion really wasn't about immunity. And um, they wanted compliance. And as soon as you were the type of person that wasn't willing to just go ahead and do it, like so many were, you became the enemy. So shame emerges in response to the feeling that we have transgressed against some agreed social rule and we've lost status within the group. Now, Kimberly Wilson, uh, who is this psychologist, also says, you know, shame played a role in our survival historically. So this is an evolutionary psychology approach where they understand that shame actually played a role in our survival. And the example of that is saying if you did something that got you expelled from the tribe, that would be life-threatening to you. So back in the day, you needed the tribe, you needed the community to survive. You needed them to help hunt and gather food. You needed them to be, have protection from predators. You needed community for your um, emotional health as well. So if you were expelled and isolated and kicked out of your tribe, you, you would be at a much higher risk of dying from a variety of different things. And uh, your health would rapidly decline just because of, again, the physical, mental, and emotional response to that. So using shame is by design. Using shame is so we let people know, if you don't go along with this, you are going to be excluded from the group. And what do people really want more than anything? People want peer approval. They want acceptance. They want to belong. Hasn't COVID shown people that like so clearly? So many people that didn't even agree with masks were wearing them just because they didn't want to be the one person at the grocery store without it or the handful of people that didn't have it. They did not want to be noticed for being different than everybody else because it's so uncomfortable to be in that position. So knowing you could be excluded, shaming people into action is disgusting. I mean, it's just disgusting. If you don't do this, we're not going to give you support, community, friendship, love. That's awful. That is awful. It's awful to do that with medical things. It's awful to do that where you're pushing people into decisions they would otherwise have not made because they are so afraid of what that consequence of being excluded feels like. So the article says, but while being ostracized from society has been a risk throughout human history... And we've always called attention to the injustices that were, you know, right. Social media has given rise to a particularly virulent form of mob justice, mob, and that's a key word, that is degrading our already taxed mental health, mob the mob mentality, and then, uh, and this makes so much sense, she goes on to say that Kimberly uh, believes that one of our biggest mental health risks of online canceling is the pile-on. And she has this in quotes, like a term, the pile-on. The fact that within minutes, a person could be verbally attacked by thousands of people. For the canceled person, it can feel as though they're being attacked by the whole world. For anyone watching, there's a feeling you could easily be next. 
Think about that. This pile on. Within minutes, within minutes, people can flood your social media accounts with just hate. Total hate, vitriol, hate, um, aggression, wishing bad things upon you, uh, calling you all sorts of awful things. And, uh, and, and it can happen so fast. Thousands of people. And the canceled person can feel like they're being attacked by the whole world. Because obviously, there's a very distorted sense of reality with social media as it is. It's like some of these, many of these accounts aren't even real. These, these, you know, the rest of them that are real, these are people you've never met, you don't know, they would never say these things to you in person. So everything's distorted when it comes to social media anyway. But not you guys. I love you guys. You guys are real. (laughs) But all these other things, I mean, there's a lot of um, superficiality. There's a lot of... uh, temporary connection with social media versus real connection in real life. And if that's all you have, because we've essentially been programmed to find connection that way, if that's all you have, then just imagine when that goes away, you're literally left with nothing. And what if that happens over something that's not even fair or right or whatever, and you have no way to defend yourself? Because if you start to defend yourself, it makes you look more guilty, and then they attack you for that. It's like you can really never win when they come after you. The article continues, in its current form, cancel culture is anonymous. See, just like I said, you you don't really have to be accountable to attack somebody. You're just a nobody out there that'll never be held accountable for your words or, um, you know, anger or hurt that you cause. And it says it's fueled by a pack mentality. Back to the mob idea, a pack mentality. And it's intensely polarizing. Quote, I am right, you are wrong, end quote. It's they, it, everything is made so black and white. My way is right. Your way is wrong. You're canceled. And she goes on to say that it teaches us if someone does something wrong or champions someone or something that we may not like or agree with, then we must stop supporting them immediately. No gray areas allowed. They're canceled. They're finished. And their name is attached to the hashtag is over party hashtag to prove it. There's no gray areas allowed. They're canceled. They're finished. So black or white only. There's no like, well, maybe nobody wants to, nobody wants to sit in the gray, which is of course where every complex issue actually lands. And um, then she goes on to say social media has democratized shaming. We can shame anyone we like. It's expanded its reach. It's stripped away the context of everything anybody says, and it leaves a permanent paper trail of what might have been a temporary indiscretion. And then she says, a culture that encourages people to be quick to cancel and reluctant to forgive is dangerous. See, that's the other part of it. Quick to cancel, reluctant, or maybe some would say unwilling to allow forgiveness. Cancel culture, quote, this is Wilson's quote, cancel culture often denies the canceled individual the most basic of human opportunities to apologize and to be absolved because the road to redemption is blocked by the indignant mob. Indignant meaning they ain't moving. They're stubborn and they are, they have dug their heels in period. Nothing you could say could make it better, which is, of course, very uh, anti-human because, you know, the part of human connection is listening to somebody and understanding where they're coming from. And of course, everybody wants all this kind of tolerance and then gives zero of it in return. That's always funny to me. Uh, The article continues, a quick apology is viewed as insincere, 
a slow one as being issued under duress. So if you apologize, they're, they're like, nope, nope, you can't possibly mean it if you do it quickly. And if you take a long time to do an apology, then they go, oh, you felt forced into it. So again, there's no, there's no winning here. And it says, and this issue can be resurrected days, weeks, even years later. And that is so true. What are we seeing now? A bunch of stuff like, oh, somebody 10 years ago said something. Somebody in 1980 something said this. Uh, a lot of things are coming up for people and it's like you can't live it down and that's the, the end of it for people. People are losing their jobs, people are losing their careers, and, and more than that, their reputation's tarnished. Kimberly Wilson, as a psychologist, you know, discusses how children learn through mistakes. And no matter the severity of the mistake, we teach them to admit their wrongdoings, to apologize, to demonstrate remorse, to make amends, and learn and grow. This is kind of what we do in parenting. But cancel culture by denying adults the same opportunity disregards our imperfect nature and basically keeps us from being able to have the potential to grow. We're we're not allowed to grow anymore because uh, we're not allowed to be absolved for any kind of wrongdoings. It says, ultimately, the collective bullying and cancellation of individuals for relatively minor one-off events or comments often outweighs the harm caused by the actual event or comment. So in the first place, whatever the event or comment was, uh, is causing less harm than actually the bullying, collective bullying and cancellation of the individuals. It says, should someone lose their reputation or their job, their entire livelihood upon which their family depends because of one tweet? Do they deserve to have their lives torn apart, their homes targeted, death threats flooding their inboxes? Uh, This is the key here, that good mental health depends on flexibility, on compassion, and on understanding. It relies on apologies and forgiveness. And when it comes to canceling, she suggests don't give in to online peer pressure. Do your research and allow people to be sorry. We've all said and done stupid things that we regret. We've all made mistakes. And we all deserve second chances, even on the internet. I do find it very ironic that the people who, like I said, are asking for tolerance and claiming to be these wonderful and inclusive and uh, moral members of society will literally turn around and say the most hateful, unkind, awful things to people, but in the name of fighting for the thing that they think that they're supporting. You cannot be such a walking contradiction and have people take you seriously. That's how you know it's not genuine. And again, that was in uh, British Vogue. And the title of that article was All the Reasons Why Cancel Culture is So Toxic for Our Mental Health. There was a second article I thought was kind of interesting called Cancel Culture is a Dangerous Totalitarian Trend. This was from Reason.com. And uh, I just want to read a couple different parts from this. Uh, Stephen Greenhut did this in August 2020. And um, he was talking about a situation with Boeing where there was an employee there that had had some kind of something show up from 1987. Legitimately, it was from 1987. Oh, it was Boeing's head of communication. So it says, Boeing's head of communications, his name is Neil Golightly, announced his resignation after a fellow employee dredged up a 33-year-old article that he published as a young Navy pilot. He argued that allowing women in combat 
quote, would destroy the exclusivity, male intangibles of war fighting and the feminine images of what men fight for, peace, home, and family. Now, these are his own opinions, right? He, he obviously believes in a little more of a traditional role in the family and uh, in his mind that, you know, the, the changing of things during a war time is going to, you know, confuse maybe what he feels are roles that have value the way that they're kind of structured. And I know a lot of people agree with that as well. And a lot of people, uh, you know, don't think that that has to apply that way. So regardless, these were his own feelings. And it says, this article says, most Americans probably no longer agree with this argument, but it's well within the mainstream of the debate at the time. And that's the key. Think about it. At the time, that was acceptable. And uh, Go lightly told the New York Times those views no longer represent the ones he holds today, saying, as youngsters, we tried out ideas. We've done things that we look back on and say, that was kind of silly, but I learned from that. Frankly, I don't think anyone should have to apologize for expressing a genuine opinion, let alone one that was made decades earlier. But his apology did not earn him a reprieve for his counter-evolutionary thoughts. This might explain in part why so few people apologize for anything these days, but double down, even in a case where an apology is in order. He says something that's kind of interesting. He said, the result of this cancel culture is self-censorship and narrowing of the public discussion. And as counterintuitive as it seems, the proliferation of crazy ideas on the internet. He said, most culture canceling comes from progressives something he noticed, which is 100% true. But he said, what happens when we do this is we weaken our norms of open debate and toleration of differences in favor of ideological conformity. Cancel culture weakens our open debate and being able to tolerate differences of opinion and changing tolerance for ideological conformity. Again, this is about conforming. This is about complying. This is about falling in line, saying yes, just doing what everyone else does and being obedient. You would never want people to go along with something just for that reason. That is not the reason to take action for anything. But it's interesting to watch cancel culture right now uh, as quickly as anybody says any possible thing. I mean, it's just so quick. And I don't know how long it's going to last because at some point people have to fight back and say, you know what, like I'm good with being able to have my own opinions as long as they're not really hurting somebody. And, and could you take, I mean, gosh, everybody gets offended by everything. Sure, you could take anything somebody says and go, oh, that's harmful. Everybody likes to use these words like harmful, dangerous, it's anti this, it's anti, and it's just like, you know, these are the, the terminology words that people use to um, kind of fit into the trend right now and make people afraid that they'll be next. But what happens if we're not able to have differences of opinions anymore? Like, what does that do to the developing brains of children? What does that do to the babies and infants and toddlers and children who are watching people argue different sides of things and have an, op an opinion and a point of view and stand by it and back it up. What happens if we all don't have opinions anymore, but we just have one way of thought that is given to us? What happens to our own mental strength and our ability to stay mentally focused and mentally fulfilled in our lives? 
I mean, isn't part of the imagination and ideas and the creative exchange between people fueled by differences of opinion where somebody makes you think about yours a little differently and it either it either validates what you already felt before or it makes you think a little differently? Isn't this how we're, we grow and stretch and all that kind of stuff? If we don't have that, if that doesn't exist and everybody's ordering the same burger for dinner, it's like we don't have, there's nothing else. There's just a burger. Everybody gets it the same way. We're going to turn into walking zombies. We're going to literally turn into people who no longer push the boundaries. And what a pu- you know, pushing the boundaries, what does that actually do? That's what actually promotes real change. Uh, being creative, being imaginative, thinking outside the box, that's what creates inventions and innovations and uh, these huge breakthroughs that we have, not to be confused with breakthrough cases. And I love that thing I just shared um, that somebody, I saw somebody put and it said, I remember when breakthrough used to mean, you know, this these new discoveries instead of an epic failure. Uh, it's pretty funny. But um, if we're stifling people's ability to have creative exchange, we're not going to grow as a society at all. We're literally going to go backwards in time and we are going to become stupider and we're just going to become just these robotic creatures that can't be what anybody actually wants because our society depends upon finding new creative individuals that are going to come up with something we never thought about. We depend upon that. It affects every aspect of our economy to have that type of thinking process. And cancel culture, like he's saying, really, we're, we're risking losing the most basic part of our open debate in society that, you know, allows us to grow and to expand and to exchange with others and engage with, with others the way that we do. I, for one, would love to see cancel culture canceled. Uh, I don't think there's anything positive about it. And I think there's a lot of danger to the mob mentality and the bullying that is okay as long as it is coming from somebody who has a belief system that is supported by the, the mainstream media. If you bully somebody, it's fine as long as you're on that side. But if anybody else has anything contrary, forget about it. Anyway, cancel culture sucks. It needs to go away. I don't know how it's possible, but it needs to happen. Somebody needs to do something because it's just, it's just too much. And I, I love how Dave Chappelle, you know, he talks about cancel culture. Like, I don't care about Twitter. It's not even a real place. And, and it's funny because it's true. We're sitting here freaking out over a virtual world and what a virtual world thinks of us. But I appreciate people like Dave Chappelle that are willing to push the boundaries and to have the uncomfortable discussions. I also appreciate people that do not back down simply because they feel peer pressure to do so. Just like I also appreciate the people who don't take actions that are, they pretend to be virtuous because of peer pressure either. Think for yourself. It's, it's the only thing that you have that makes you unique and makes you different. You might not want to be an over analytical person like me. Trust me. It's a good thing, but it's also can be a struggle. However, Never, never, never give up on on questioning. Never get comfortable. Always continue to question just for yourself even so that you can continue to find out where you stand and what you believe and what you think and uh, go to different different places in your in your mind, uh, on your belief systems, on everything uh, from who you are to what your role is in this world. 
Well, that's it for today on this episode of What They Aren't Telling You. As always, you guys can support this podcast by clicking on the link in the description. And I love that support. I love you guys. Happy you're here. And I'll see you next time on What They Aren't Telling You.